0: Welcome to the WebMD Health Discovered Podcast. I'm Dr. Neha Batak, WebMD's Chief Physician Editor for Health and Lifestyle Medicine. Today, I really want to dig in and talk about healthy communication and setting boundaries. Getting together with family always makes me think of a quote I once heard. Families know how to push your buttons because they sewed them on. I'm sure many of us can relate to the idea that those closest to us often have an uncanny ability to push our buttons, whether it's a family member, a friend, or a romantic partner. The narrative surrounding button pushing often ends with a knowing nod or a shared sigh. But how can we move beyond this acknowledgement of these triggers and actually foster healthier connections? How often do we engage in meaningful conversations about improving our communication skills in these relationships, which includes both what we say and how we process what others are saying to us. How do we navigate those tense moments with grace and understanding? Today, we're exploring the art of communication. We're not just pointing out the problems, we're on a mission to equip you with the tools to enhance your communication skills. Join us as we uncover the mistakes we often make when expressing our feelings, seeking connection, and setting those all-important boundaries. Whether you're gearing up for a family gathering that feels like navigating a social minefield, preparing for a tense heart-to-heart with your significant other, or stepping into the arena of conflict resolution with friends, this episode is tailor-made for you. We'll unravel the intricacies of establishing boundaries that not only protect our well-being, but also nurture the relationships that matter most. Here to discuss this topic is my guest, Whitney Goodman. Whitney is a psychotherapist behind the hugely popular Instagram account, Sit With Wit. She's also the author of Toxic Positivity, host of the Calling Home podcast, and the owner of the Collaborative Counseling Center a private online therapy practice in Florida. She helps adult family members have better relationships, set boundaries, and navigate estrangement. Welcome to the WebMD Health Discovered podcast, Whitney. Thank you so much for having me. Before we begin exploring our topic, I'd like to ask about your health discovery. What was your aha moment around communication and boundaries in the actions you took because of this discovery?
1: I dove a lot deeper into the work of adult family relationships and estrangement by way of COVID. I am a family therapist by training, but my practice became completely full of people dealing with issues in their adult family relationships during this time. And what I realized was that, unfortunately, there weren't a lot of resources out there for these people. Most of our content, books, resources are targeted towards people with young children, And I was like, wow, I I just want to spend, you know, the rest of my life dedicated to trying to work on this stuff because it has such a profound impact negatively and positively on people's lives.
0: What we often hear about is, well, we need to set up boundaries and have clear boundaries. So can you help us define what we mean by that term? And when is that a healthy thing? And when is that whole I'm setting up a boundary actually an unhealthy thing?
1: I love the definition by Nedra Tovav, who wrote the book, um, Set Boundaries, Find Peace. And she defines a boundary as something that keeps you safe and comfortable in your relationships. And I think this is where sometimes we get a little bit tripped up, right? So a boundary is us letting someone know our limits, our preferences, and what we are willing to tolerate. And so a proper boundary really focuses on what you are going to do not necessarily what you're going to stop the other person from doing. So an example of that might be, I will not be around you when you're drinking. If you decide to drink, I'm going to leave. I'm not going to attend the event. A misused boundary or one that I think would not be very effective is someone saying, you're not allowed to drink because what are you going to do? How are you going to enforce that? How are you going to stop them? You know, it's not something that you can necessarily enforce in a feasible way. And so boundaries should really always come back to you and what you're going to do.
0: Is there some sort of time component to that boundary, too? So I think that oftentimes I hear people say, "Okay, so if you do X, if you yell, I'm going to go away. Or if we have a conversation that gets too difficult for me, I'm going to walk away from it. And then there's this whole silent treatment phase that goes on for hours or days. So can you talk a little bit about a time component potentially being part of boundary setting as well? Is that part of it? Sure, I think that's something that needs to be communicated
1: and discussed when the boundary is being set. And when someone is deciding to create a boundary, it needs to be realistic and enforceable. So if you're going to say, if you do X, I'm never going to speak to you again. Is that realistic or are you just making an empty threat? And I don't think that the silent treatment is ever really a super effective way to deal with boundary violations. But there is a difference between the silent treatment and saying, hey, that really upset me and I need some time to collect myself. Can we talk about this
0: next week? Can you give us some tools for when we think that our boundaries are being violated? So number one, I guess, if you could just start with, okay, how do you even start to have this conversation? What are some of the best practices of talking to your partner or your friend to set these boundaries? And then what are good examples of ways of dealing with what you feel is a boundary violation?
1: In my experience, most people assume that if their boundaries are being violated, it's being done maliciously and with intent. And that's not always the case, right? Sometimes we didn't do a great job of explaining our boundaries. The other person needs more clarity or they need practice because this is a new big change for them. And so I always like to come back to it from this place of like, what is the most generous interpretation of this person's behavior? Can I maybe Ask them, are you confused? Is there anything that you are struggling with? And assess what's going on. Now, there are, of course, people who are going to maliciously and intentionally bulldoze past your boundaries. And your boundaries actually might even entice them to do that even more. And so with those people, when you notice there is a pattern of deliberately ignoring your boundaries, you might have to say, this is a person that cannot respect my boundaries. And so how can I protect myself? What changes do I need to make if they are unwilling to follow my guidance?
0: Talk us through what you recommend for people to do to have this discussion with somebody. So if you anticipate that they are someone who's gonna negotiate in good faith versus someone where, like you mentioned, someone where you kind of anticipate that this person, when I have this discussion this is going to give them potentially ammunition? Or is that, am I just even thinking about it in the wrong way? I shouldn't be thinking about it. No,
1: I, I think you're thinking about it in the right way. You know, we know the people in our family and everybody has different levels of emotional maturity and ability to have these conversations. And so if you have somebody that's discussing this with you in good faith, I think it's always important to discuss this during a calm moment, not in like a heated moment, not on like Thanksgiving day at the table or something like that and really try to come up with a clear plan of how can I explain to this person exactly what's going on? Maybe I have examples, things that I would like to see done differently. If you have someone that always meets you with negotiation, denial, they're making fun of your boundaries, things like that, there's probably nothing you can say to someone like that to convince them to respect you. And so that's when it comes back to like, Can I have a relationship with this person? And what
0: will that relationship look like? You also talk about this term enmeshment. So can you describe what that term means and what are some characteristics of a relationship where you might be seeing that behavior?
1: Yes, enmeshment is the complete opposite of boundaries, right? So in an enmeshed family or an enmeshed relationship, you're going to see people that do not understand their roles. There's a lot of role confusion. So for example, a child might be behaving like a parent within the parent-child dyad and the parent is behaving much more like a child. The family members are overly involved in each other's emotional world, in doing tasks for one another. And there really is no limit to where I end and you begin. We are one person in a sense. And so enmeshment to me is highly nuanced and, and there's some cultural elements to that. What might be considered enmeshed in an American family might be quite different in a Hispanic family. And so to me, it's all about how does this feel for the family unit? Does it feel healthy? Does it feel good? Do we have some type of limits and privacies within the context of our own family?
0: And so consider the partner that's sort of coming into a family diet or a family dynamic. What is a strategy if someone is coming into a relationship with one member of that family and they're noticing that maybe they don't necessarily communicate the same way? What are some of the strategies that they might use to navigate that sort of situation?
1: Yeah. I had an episode on my podcast come out today about in-law relationships. And it's reminding me of that, that you have to really approach this gently because the relationship that your partner has with her parents or his parents is the relationship that they have and it's what they know. And the other person is coming in and they're swimming in totally uncharted waters here. And so I think sometimes it's helpful to say, you know, have you noticed that this happens? Like, I feel maybe uncomfortable with that, or it's different from my family. I want to understand why you all do things this way. And that can be a lot better and more effective than being like, oh my gosh, your mom is crazy. She's always meddling in our stuff. And you want to try not to put the other person immediately on the defensive about their own family patterns.
0: Give us some examples of effective ways of communicating when you are feeling uncomfortable or you're noticing something that is not really a safe space for you. Again, you want to
1: make sure that you're not overly emotionally charged in that moment. So if you can't communicate this without yelling, getting really overwhelmed emotionally, it might be a time to kind of set aside, write about it, talk about it to someone else before you approach this person with what you're concerned about. I also think it's important to discuss it from your perspective, how it might be impacting you, what you're feeling instead of labeling the other person as something or trying to point it out. And it's important to be self-reflective of like, how might it feel for me if someone was going to point out these things that feel quite normal to me and label them as problematic and just put yourself in that place?
0: That makes a lot of sense. Maybe potentially thinking through different scenarios or what might come up. Is that something you recommend?
1: Yeah, absolutely. And and being very clear, I think, with your language and with your examples is helpful for people so that you can show, you know, hey, when this happened, this was my perspective. This is how I viewed the situation and what it felt like for me instead of just describing the other person's behavior in a negative light.
0: Can you kind of walk us through a potential script. I don't want to say that you're gonna that I'm gonna say these exact words, but it would be (laughs) really helpful to sort of think through, you know, these sorts of phrases to help you navigate a conversation. And when things are getting heated, potentially use this type of phrase. Sure.
1: So whenever I'm gonna start a conversation with someone that is has the potential to be hurtful or to be emotionally charged, I think it's always important to point out that this is happening in good faith. So I'm bringing this up because I want us to have a good relationship or I want us to work through this, really showing the person that you're not bringing this up to be critical or punitive, but it's because you love them and care about them and you want to have a good relationship with them. And that typically makes people more open and receptive. And then from there, if I'm explaining things and either one of us is starting to get heated, I think it's always important to say we're allowed to take a break from this conversation. A lot of people are scared to not find a resolution in the moment, but I actually recommend that you don't if that means that things are going to escalate and you're gonna say things that you don't wanna say. So some couples um, or families come up with like a word or a signal. Other people are able to say, I need to take a minute. Can we come back? and talk about this later. And that can be really effective.
0: This conversation is really helpful. And the way I'm kind of thinking about it is these are sort of entrenched patterns that may have happened over time with this person. So you know this person well. And this is just sort of your baseline potential level of frustration with someone because of patterns that have built up. How do you approach a situation where there's sort of been an episode of trauma or grief or something that you've both experienced together that might now sort of shift your dynamic? How do you protect that relationship in a situation like that?
1: You know, I think it depends on what each person's unique reaction is to that event. We all have different outcomes when these things happen. And some people choose to grow closer, others pull apart. And that's when we have to be pretty understanding in these moments of like the way that I'm grieving may not be the same way that you are grieving. And some people, when they are in pain, they do hurtful things and they cause pain to other people. And so that's a moment where it's okay to hold both those things at one time of like, I have empathy for this person. I know that what we went through was difficult and they cannot treat me this way. I'm allowed to set boundaries with them around that behavior.
0: I think this is really helpful in terms of what you said earlier, too, is just sometimes we have a tendency to make assumptions or we have expectations of how this person should behave in the situation, either because that's how you would behave or that's just what you've sort of envisioned. And that can definitely make things worse just because you've set yourself up for this sort of this expectation. So how can we become more aware that we are doing this and that we're sort of setting ourselves up for being you know more frustrated with the situation. How can we shift our own sort of thoughts? How can we ensure that we're going to be empathetic to the other person as well?
1: This is something that I had to learn as a therapist and I think a lot of people have to remember this that we we're actually quite bad at interpreting other people's emotional world as humans, we tend to be predictive learning machines. So we assume that we've seen 10 people react this way to this type of event. um, And that's how everybody reacts, or we reacted this way. So that's how everybody should react. And I find that approaching every interaction with curiosity instead of assumptions or expectations is helpful. So Can I ask questions? Can I learn what this person is dealing with, what their inner world is like? And can I see maybe where we are the same and where we are different before I assume how they feel or how they should be feeling?
0: Yeah, that really helps. And then kind of leads me into the next question, which is if we're in a situation where we really have felt like we've made a good faith effort, and what you're seeing is this developing estrangement. First, what does that look like? Can that be healthy in some situations? And then there's also the term loving detachment. So can you define those terms? And then can you help us sort of understand how each of these sort of different types of relationships might affect us?
1: Estrangement is a difficult term to define because I think we all define it differently. To me, it's when there is a rift or a separation in the relationship where people go A period of time without speaking to one another and without having contact. Now, there are some people who have very low contact that would also consider themselves to be estranged. And I think an estrangement can last anywhere from a month to 20 years. Loving detachment can also be a part of estrangement. You can be estranged from someone and love them from a distance. The word estrangement often has like a negative tone to it or people assume that it's a bad thing. But It's not. Estrangement is always sad, but it's not always the wrong choice, right? So you can be estranged from someone and be very upset that that happened, but know that your life is better because of it.
0: Because I think that that's what often hurts people in those situations, is just that you feel like you've failed in some ways and that you should be doing something to either repair that relationship or to end the estrangement. So it's really helpful to hear that sometimes that's a choice that you're making that is potentially beneficial to you and to the other person. A hundred percent. And a
1: lot of that has to do with the social stigma of it, of course. I think with these types of topics, I always just recommend that people start small. You know, you don't have to make big sweeping changes to your relationship or to your life. And you can implement some of the things that we discussed here in a slow, purposeful way.
0: To close our episode, I'd love to close it with bite-sized action items that people can start with right away. So do you have a couple of recommendations for one or two bite-sized things that someone could start today?
1: Yeah, I think, of course, you know, starting therapy is something that I always recommend, especially around this time of year. And I recommend that people just start having conversations with one another about their family relationships and what they're going through. I think the more we can discuss this with each other, the less stigmatizing these issues will be and the better we'll be able to deal with them.
0: Thank you so much for being with us, Whitney. I really, really appreciate it. For me, the key takeaways are really sort of Doing this inventory on yourself. So check in with yourself first to see what is it that you want out of this relationship? What are some of the core patterns that you yourself bring to a conversation? And how can you ensure that you're intentionally avoiding that in that discussion that you're pre-planning so that it's not as emotionally charged? And then really focusing on what you are going to do in terms of boundary setting versus what you expect from the other person. To find out more information about Whitney Goodman, visit sitwithwit.com or her Instagram at sitwithwit. We'll have both linked in our show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Please take a moment to follow, rate, and review this podcast on your favorite listening platform. If you'd like to send me an email about topics you're interested in or questions for future guests, please send me a note at webmdpodcast@webmd.net. at webmd.net. This is Dr. Neha Batuk for the WebMD Health Discovered podcast.